0: Hello and welcome to Narc Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Collaborators. You can find me at narctroopers.com where you will find information about my podcast channel, my video blog on YouTube channel, and the articles that I write for Medium as well as the one-on-one uh, sessions that I provide for people In recovery from narcissistic abuse. Today we're going to talk about something pretty interesting. It's going to be titled, get ready, The Narcissist Wants You Dead. That's right. The Narcissist Wants You Dead. How can they love you one minute and hate you the next? It's mind-boggling, isn't it? i hear this over and over and over again it's not an isolated thing it's not rare it's not the exception it is the modus operandi it is the textbook conclusion to every relationship with a narcissist that they love you and they're infatuated with you and they snapshot you and Photoshop you and make you perfect. And it's ooey gooey, lovey, lovey, dovey. And then they begin to pick, pick, pick. And things begin to unravel. They begin to find fault. You lose favor in their eyes. Your imperfections begin to show. And while they're pick, pick, picking, they're look, look, looking for your replacement. And then after that, when the contempt they have for you, the utter hatred and repulsion that they feel about you is too much to bear, they discard you when they have found a great replacement and plug that person in your place, and life goes on. So, how does this all work? This whole why do they want why do they do that why do they want you dead well i'm going to try to explain that to you and sort of distill the main ideas that you need to grasp to fully understand what's happening and to remember something very important here's the key thing you have to remember it's not about you It's nothing that you did or didn't do or said or failed to say. It has nothing to do with you. It's all about them, the mission that they're on, the way they see the world, their delusions, their magical thinking, their blame shifting. Their The list is just endless. You know, the way they parentify you, the way they have to merge and fuse and then murder you to separate and individuate They, you know, there's just a lot of stuff going on there and none of it is good. None of it is good. So let's dive in. The narcissist wants you to die because he or she is already dead. This empty core or deep space of nothingness is all that exists of the narcissist where there should be something filled with life. The narcissist lives in a magical fantasy land in an in, in unrealistic parallel universe kind of world where it's like a magical um, extravaganza every day. They believe that all people are just like them. I mean, how do you know that something else exists if you have never experienced it? The answer is you don't. That's all you know, so that's all you've experienced, and you believe everybody is just like you. Couldn't be further from the truth. So that is why this person cannot evolve or become anything else other than what they are, because there's nothing there. It's just simply a mirage, a fiction. The narcissist feels existentially lonely. So he wants to drag you into his twilight zone and confirm that, is, that it, it is a perfectly normal and acceptable uh, place to be the way that, you know, he is, or she is. They, they want to feel like, well, there's nothing wrong with this. This is what everybody feels. This is perfectly fine. Everything is good. So they drag you into that. They only feel safe. When they are in a shared fantasy or mutual psychosis with their intimate partner. When you enter this shared fantasy, you have entered a dead zone. A dead zone. And you have begun to die and to let everything and everyone around you die too. you got to think about that because that is... Um, that's huge when you integrate yourself into this shared delusion you have surrendered your identity and self-efficacy the narcissist offers you unconditional love like that of a parent perhaps the parent you always longed for and never had you know it but it's more than this that there's a catch There's a price, you know, it is a Faustian contract with the devil for your soul. In order to receive it, you have to die. You have to die and let everything around you die. The narcissist attempts to kill you by crushing your spirit, taking away your agency and attacking your very essence and identity in order to, To extinguish it and just snuff it out. You will no longer be able to be part of the real world, the world of the living, because you're joining them, kind of like, you know, being dragged to Hades You know, all those mythological stories about people going to the underworld, the shadow world. It is a shadow world where nothing's real. It's like Plato's The Cave, where they think it's reality because it's all they've ever known. It's all they've ever seen. And they come out into the real world and it's like, wow, that is too much for me. It would be an oversimplification to say that the narcissist hates you. Because he or she is also a lot of other things. They are envious, grandiose, and contemptuous in order to justify the terrible things that they do to you. It allows them to maintain their untarnished, shiny good guy image while blaming you for all of it and actually believing their own, like, narrative version of of reality they believe this they believe you deserve all this cruelty and punishment that they dole out because of the horrible things that you've done which of course you didn't do any of those things that's all just a fig newton of their imagination okay (laughs) so let's continue there is a lot more there's more we're gonna talk about we're gonna go deeper so get ready the underpinnings of their hatred began in early childhood and create this fertile ground to plant their contempt, denial, projection, and victimhood. So let's do this deep dive. And, you know, there's a lot of complex mechanisms at play. So the first one we're going to talk about is splitting. Splitting Okay, first of all, ego splitting is when the constellated self or core identity is split and one is conscious and the other unconscious. Okay, the ego core identity, constellated, ordered self is split and one is conscious, one is unconscious. Some say that... um, One is good and one is bad and others will say, you know, there are three components, the central ego, which is your consciousness, the libidinal ego, which is your internal um, creator and your anti libido ego, which is the internal force of death. seems like everything comes in threes. We're going to talk about that more. So just kind of put that on your radar. Make a note of it. And you're going to hear the three thing. Again, there's three voices in your head. There's three uh, functions of the ego. There's three things that Eric Byrne and uh, Claude Steiner talked about when they did transactional analysis. You know, the parent, the adult, and the child ego states. There's three of just so many things. So, yeah, three is your magic number here. So, okay, let's go on. Uh, So there's three ego states. In the traumatized child, which is what the narcissist is, the anti-libidinal ego attacks all the others and sabotages any positive life force. Each one is paired with internal objects that have inner voices that send messages as something called introjects. Now, if you were to break down the etymology of the word introjects, intro means it pierces something to go inside. And jex is something that is shot out like a projectile, a missile, uh, a torpedo. So introjects is something that is put inside, inserted, shot inside to the internal mechanisms of your mind. You can see, you know, how damage. Um, how damaging all of this is, um, what do I want to say? Um, the damage to these constructs alters the way a person experiences the world around them. Let's, let's say it that way, that any damage through trauma, abuse, neglect, all kinds of messed up stuff to ha- that happen to children when that happens, it alters the way that you interact with the world around you okay so there's another kind of splitting i hope we kind of digested that a little bit i'm trying to feed little bites this is kind of hard to think about but thank you for staying with me because in the end it's going to give you such a better understanding of just what the heck is going on here right isn't that the question we all keep asking like oh my gosh how could this even be possible What has happened What, you know, they don't even seem like a narcissist is, is even, how can that be possible and what they do to people? How could that even be possible? Well, part of this is the explanation. So the other type of splitting is object splitting. So this happens when part of the self and other parts are, um, are like shameful. So we throw them out and project them on an external object. That would be another person. Um, It is where you deny parts of yourself and you reject them. There is a schizoid component. A schizoid means split and not in concert with one another, not in harmony with one another, divided. Uh, in conflict at war with one another schizoid component which and it's also rooted in delusions like schizoid that's what that means is delusions Um, you know narcissism has that piece of it it is a delusional disorder so you need to know that Uh, things are categorized as good or bad you know maybe you have heard me say before that the narcissist is not capable of seeing all the different shades of gray. They're not going to be able to. Um, they they're not going to be able to 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 be able to acknowledge that a person can love them and be angry with them at the same time. That they could be loved and be um, have frustration or disapproval or something like that. It's either all one or all the other. You're either with me or against me. You're either painted black or painted white. You're a good guy. You're a bad guy. There's no um, complex middle ambiguity. And we all know that ambiguity is part of life. It's part of what makes us human, that there are a lot of things you can't really just identify um You know, specifically saying this is the concrete, like a math problem, yes or no, right or wrong answer. Things are way more complex than that and have layers like peeling back an onion or something. And sometimes things can be right that are wrong and sometimes things that are are wrong that are supposed to be right. And sometimes good people do bad things and bad people do good things. And, you know, it's just a mess. It's, it's, uh, it's not so simple as good and bad. And they don't even believe in moral constructs anyway. Narcissists don't have any true concept of, of moral concepts. It's like a character deficit. They have a moral deficit. You know, I heard somebody the other day call it moral insanity. This was on Quora. You actually can get some pretty profound things on Quora q-u-o-r-a if you don't know that resource you should check it out because you just um search narcissism on quora and um lots of good stuff i'm on there too contributing my two cents to things and there's other people who are better writers and know more stuff than i do so we all get together and you know it's quite a shindig (laughs) it's a party it's a narcissist party on quora every day Okay. Back to what we're talking about. So the hard stuff, the splitting, the, uh, the narcissist inability to see the shades of gray, no reference to that horrible movie. All right. So, um, let's move on. Um, so in healthy development, the child merges their good and bad perceptions of the, of the, uh, central object, which is usually the mother or primary caregiver and they learn to accept that the world is filled with many shades of gray. We're back to that, the ambiguity, the, the, you know, it's not just yes or no. Sometimes there's a maybe or a little bit or something like that. A person with NPD is, is they have only negative Um, only a negative object which again is a significant primary guardian caretaker since they cannot split the mother because there's something wrong there there's something wrong the mother is is a dead mother which is a metaphor to describe the mother that is abusive she is emotionally unavailable she's impaired in some way, emotionally, through addiction, through depression, through mental illness, there's something wrong with mom. There's something wrong with mom. And so the young narcissist who isn't a narcissist yet picks up on this, that mom is not okay. And since mom is not okay, they can't split her, this, this, this object that is the central object. They can't split her in a healthy way, which is part of their developmental process. That's necessary that they that they can do that. That's a healthy, necessary step in their development. And since they can't split her in a healthy way because she's a bad, quote, bad mother, then they have to split themselves. They have to split themselves because they can't split her. Let's let's digest that. Let's think about that for a second. Mother, not okay. Little narcissists cannot do what is supposed to be done with healthy childhood development. So instead of splitting mom and being able to make that step, they get frozen there and they have to split themselves. It's the only chance they have. And so when they split themselves, you know, this, you know, the rest, Yep, you've heard this. They have to create. They create this false self, this persona to be the good actor, to be the superhero, to be the bulletproof, invincible, empowered version of themselves. While the true authentic self, what happens to that true authentic self, that vulnerable, scared, hurt little person what happens to them they are get labeled as weak and defective and bad and narcissists cannot navigate this developmental phase so they remain stuck where they never develop reality testing is what it's called or object constancy and if you want to understand this even more then I am trying to just distill the main points. If you want to know more, then you should search those two terms, reality testing and object constancy. Um, and it will go into a lot more depth. So this thing that happens, what we're talking about right now, this unhealthy splitting where they can't split the mother which or primary caregiver, which is like normal development necessary step. They split themselves and they create a false self. They have their authentic, true self, which is weak and flawed, according to them. That's how they see it. And then they have the superhero version of themselves. That version of themselves is grandiose, entitled, arrogant, omniscient, omnipotent, godlike. They imbue themselves with superpowers sometimes and magical stuff and you know they they become a wizard they become invincible right it's like a construction of a child in the face of a monster they construct the hero the hero that can defeat all monsters no matter what and they do that to survive um so this Um, limitation, let's call it this limitation follows them throughout life because they are unable to see how a person could be both good and bad or a mix of many different parts. They just don't get that. At the end of the cycle of narcissistic abuse, which is the discard, the narcissist has become disillusioned with your um, ability or rather inability to be the perfect, good external object all of the time. You know, nobody can be that. We're all human. But that's what they they want. That's what they expect in their never-never land, that you're this perfect external object all of the time. You're either black or white, good or bad, nothing else. And if you are not supplying their needs, then you must be bad, right? You must be bad if you're not supplying their needs you deserve to be punished and you are worthy of contempt you deserve it it allows the narcissist to actually punish you and ultimately kill you metaphorically i hope and i guess in some cases with some types of narcissist uh, might actually be murdering you physically but all narcissists murder you metaphorically Um, the ego keeps giving reality testing to normal people but narcissists have no ego they outsource reality testing they have to depend on other people to do it for them since they have no ego to tell them what is real and what is not real they don't know where they start and another person starts and where they end and that other person ends and all boundaries are blurred and they're just without shape, without form, without identity. They're like ghosts that just float around and pass through people, picking up whatever they can as they pass through. Um, You know, this person, um, they cannot survive in reality without someone externally to tell them what to do and how to do that do that you know it's a hive mentality it's um uh where you know it's like one mind um and and it incorporates you and it co-ops you um it consumes you to fill this deficit this hollow lack of identity and ego that is inside the narcissist this emptiness this void this howling wilderness as some people call it I've heard both H.G. Tudor and Sam Vaknin, two of my favorite, favorite people to listen to. And I've heard both of them call the internal landscape of the narcissist. They call it a howling wilderness. And that really resonates with me because that's exactly what it is. It's just um, a windy, dark, um, like uh, horrible, horrible, horrible place. Um. so the narcissist is disassociative and you know that word if, if you don't you should look it up and read about disassociation and dissociative disorder where you lose touch with reality and you dissociate and the reasons why people dissociate kind of what that means and what that's about because that's definitely part of narcissism and even the persons with the narcissist over time they also begin to dissociate as well. It's like they begin to mimic some of the same symptoms as that of the narcissist. So that's the weird thing about narcissists is that, you know, they'll tell you, I love you. I'm always going to be here. I got your back. You're my soulmate. You're my twin flame. You're my honey bun. We've traveled lifetimes together. I love you. Of course, I'm your husband. You used to stand in the bathroom door while I was taking a shower and I would say, hey, go away. And he would say, it's okay. I'm your husband. I love you. (laughs) And I always thought that was very kind of weird and creepy that, okay, I knew he was my husband. Why did he have to tell me that? But also, what's he doing, you know, like, you know, creeping around like that. So, um, you know, they tell you that one minute and then the next minute they're gone. It's that quick, just bam. And um, so you're never going to see it coming you are never going to see it coming all right last thing anecdotal evidence (laughs) Um, this week i finally contracted covid so i teach high school and um i knew it was just a matter of time to be up there with all the people that you know there's a lot of people that had COVID, a lot of students um and i'm a triple threat unfortunately i have a little heart condition this is above and beyond the broken heart that I'm still nursing. <laughs> I also have, I'm old. I'm I'm an old person, elderly uh, person, over 60. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm old. And I have an autoimmune illness, kind of like, you know, I have flares and uh, carry a lot of inflammation. It's kind of like uh, lupus, but it's not lupus, but it's like that. So I had three things which make me a very big candidate for having a a negative outcome is what my doctor called it. A negative outcome, uh, would be a high probability for someone with my health conditions makes me vulnerable and high risk. So my narcopath X, uh, knowing that there's a possibility of my death and hoping to get free of his monthly alimony, I guess he began circling like, turkey vultures, you know, when they circle dead things. Um, and you know, yeah, that, that is not a good thing. Circling and circling, ready to just, you know, swoop down and feast on my remains. There's no doubt in my mind that my narcissist wants me dead. I hadn't heard from him in almost a year. And, uh, the word got out, I had COVID and, you know, he was like FaceTiming me and, I think he wanted to see me looking really like I was dying on my deathbed just to give himself some fuel and supply would really make him feel get that little jolt, that little rush of of um fuel to see me suffering and, and being, you know, having a high fever and looking all sick on my deathbed and stuff. I think he really wanted to see that. Because I'm the bad guy. Because even though I did nothing to be the bad guy. Absolutely zero. Nope. Nope. Not me. I didn't do anything bad. He did a lot of things that were not okay. Definitely not okay. You know, and, but I was the one that got blamed for all of them. So yeah, I think that he definitely was hoping for my death. Uh, the year before he left, And this is just the last little bit of anecdotal evidence. The year before he discarded me in July of 2019, June of 2019, sorry. That whole year, I felt like he wanted to kill me. So you know how you get the gut feeling that you're in danger? So I didn't want to walk in front of him on the stairs. I'd let him go first or whatever, especially if I was carrying laundry or had something in my hands. I wasn't going to walk in front of him. I wouldn't walk behind him. Like if he was in the car backing out, and I was wanted to put something in the trash can or I needed to cross over, I'm not going to walk behind that car. He would back out and say it was an accident. He didn't see me and hit me and killed me. Uh, I, I thought he was going to smother me or poison me. And those kind of thoughts, were very subtle in the back of my mind. I didn't entertain them. I never said them out loud, but I felt it. I got that message. All my little spidey sense was tingling, all that intuitive gut thing that says, warning, warning, you're in danger. All of those little red flags were going off and we never talked about it. I never said to him, Hey, you know, what's going on with you? I don't feel safe. I feel like you're like, would harm me. You know, you'd push me in front of a bus if you had the opportunity and nobody was looking and you could get away with it. I'm pretty sure I feel like you would do that. Why am I feeling that way? I never said it. I think I was too scared to bring that to him for fear of what he would say. And, you know, honestly, he would not say anything because of course he's not going to admit that that's what he's feeling. But I just wanted to stamp this validity on this idea That they want you to die. The narcissist wants you dead. Not just my narcissist. Your narcissist has so much hate and contempt for you and has projected and blame shifted onto you to the degree that you are the villain. You are the hated, despised person that deserves to be punished uh, with all the abuse that they give to you right um so (laughs) anyway i survived i had complications weird stuff uh you know it's been like five weeks now i'm just now coming out of it where i'm feeling almost normal but um uh I, i just wanted to say that you know all of this um i'm just sure of it you know they say that um these cockroach cockroach vulture zombies have zero empathy or remorse and hold only contempt and disgust for you your frailty your pain and i want to say that's actually wrong narcissists do have empathy it's just not the good kind not the emotional empathy they have zero emotional empathy what they do have is cognitive empathy or cold empathy is what it's known as because they do have enough sense to know when someone is sad or they do have enough sense to know when you're um you know depressed or or tired or angry or frustrated or you know they pick up on that and and they can read people really really well they've had to learn to do that predators do that Don't you think that lion knows that uh, gazelle and its um, habits and like what it's going to do and how it lives its life? Don't you think that that lion hasn't been lurking over there in the savannah watching his prey, learning everything he can about it, studying it? Yeah, of course it has. Predators study their prey. Predators are very observant. Predators know what your vulnerabilities and weaknesses are. They target those and they go for the jugular. You know, you hear that? Like the whole ripping out of the throat. Of course, how do they know to rip out the throat? Because they know it's your vulnerable weak spot and that you can die quickly and they can get on with their meal. So, you know at the end of these relationships, you're not of any use to them. You're broken. You're defective. They're done with you. They're tired. They're bored. Uh, they need better fuel. So, uh, you know, if they're inconvenienced, uh, through, through anything like alimony child support or custody agreements or whatever, rest assured that's even more reason to wish you were dead. Um, you know, they, they, they can even leverage that in their favor by adding it to their, you know, victim narrative. I can just hear my ex now saying something like, oh, well, you know, she's dead, but it's for the best. She was such a tortured soul, bringing such misery to everyone who crossed her past. At least now she's in peace. When I die, that's what he's going to say, even if he kills me. So if there was any justice in this world, there would simply uh, these people would just I don't know maybe burst into flames <laughs> or you know after defaming the dead that way or and acting that such profane cruelty and lies to people who have never done anything wrong to them the only way uh, that I to have any peace of mind with it and is to stop myself um, you know from from thinking of them as a normal person uh as part of my own healing i have to realize that um that you know they're mentally ill and uh <laughs> i you know you have to leverage any reason you have to keep a grip on yourself and not uh lose your mind when it comes to dealing with all of this you know th- these people are morally deficient they are incapable. They're disabled. They're simply too mentally ill to be held um, accountable. So in conclusion, I want to talk about self-immolation. You know what immolation is? It's when you um, douse yourself with gasoline and throw a match on yourself and burn yourself to death. The narcissist hates you and essentially has already murdered you metaphorically, Um, they have. And I'm sure they kind of wish physically they could murder you too, but they usually don't. Um, We help them by handing them the murder weapons. Think about that. We do. We hand them the murder, murder weapons and provide the opportunity it's like we just bare our throats to them and our chest, and we kneel down and close our eyes and give them the opportunity and the power to kill us. In a way, it's sort of a suicide. Um, so, our supreme through our supreme sacrifice, we are bound eternally. Their act of sheer destruction and annihilation paired with our obsessive, addictive compulsion to contain them. It sort of captures their essence and absorbs its energy like the sun. That's what dooms us to this lethal attachment to our executioner. Nobody wins. Nobody wins because both parties are victims. Both are damaged and incapable of doing the right thing. When you're in that relationship with that person, you have become... Uh, disabled, you have become uh incapable of acting in with conscience and with uh any of the emotions and and ethical standards that you would normally have you don't at you know after you've been in this with them for a while um, you know they're already dead because you know they they did that sort of to themselves and when you're with them you are dying with them for them because of your love never think a person with NPD genuinely feels anything for you except pure fiction followed by pure hatred they have to hate you to excuse what they did to you and walk away from it all feeling like they are uh, you know the superhero, the good guy, the victim. Ah, uh, uh, you know, do not let them mislead you into thinking that they're something that they're not, because it's dangerous to your soul, to your spirit, to your family, to your friends, to your children. It is a dangerous dance with the devil and I don't mean to imply that they're a monster or that they're a devil because I, you know, they're mentally ill. So I'm not going to demonize them in that way, but they're still so mentally ill there. That does make them dangerous. They cannot be what they need to be or do what they need to do ever. And they're always going to blame you. And they're always going to invent things that didn't happen. And they're always going to go around telling people, crazy things that never happened to try to put doubt in their minds and try to, uh, smear you and, and lay the stage so that the bottom line is they always have to come out of it smelling like a rose. They always have to be the hero and the victim. And, and you know, you know, who is really, um, you know, the victim here, probably both of you (laughs) and you know, that the only way that you can reclaim your power and not live your life with that label is to get away from them, get away from them as far away as you can. And just, you know, reinvent yourself without them. Cause that's your only chance. As long as you're with them, you're dying a slow death and you're losing yourself, your identity. And let's just remember this last thing, <laughs> take this away with you and just, tell yourself this over and over sooner or later every single time the narcissist wants you dead okay guys that's it talk to you soon come see me on narctroopers.com bye another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear? check breakfast, lunch and dinner? check planning for what's next and how to say for it?